0: Welcome back to another episode of the Pit Stop podcast presented by the Ordinary Podcasting Network. I'm Braden, Jordan and Tyler. Uh, I missed last episode where you guys were uh, giving all of the love to McLaren. Uh, I'm looking forward to uh, doing that again. However, there's really not much to uh, go with that. So we're not going to start there, but Monza, Monza, Monza. We have much to talk about at the Temple of Speed. A rather lame way to end the race. It saw the safety car finish in P1. Oh, Uh, okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Might be the only podium Aston Martin sees this year. Uh, Rather, Max wins for the first time with this track, followed by dejected Leclerc in P2 and Russell in P3. As I said, much to talk about. But let's start with what led to uh, an unfamiliar grid start due to some grid penalties. Jordan, why don't we start there?
1: Oy oy oy. Okay, so yeah, um yeah. Uh, I mean, it took 4 hours uh following qualifying to actually know what the starting grid yeah. order was going to be, which is just not a great look for the sport. Um there was a a meeting held directly after the race uh in Monza uh that was basically uh, the, the official statement from Formula 1 was that it was a, a a a meeting with the heads of all of the teams and the sort of Committee that that runs sort of the marshals and the race directors um, and what we would call in other sports probably like the competition committee right the the organizing group that is responsible for ensuring sort of the integrity of how the sport is dealt with and the official term given to the meeting was a range of sporting matters I can guarantee you two things came up one was how the race ended under safety car number two was how the race started because as you said a whole bunch of grid penalties I, I believe in total. Uh, there were seven um, different drivers who, who had different grid penalties based on engine changes, um, different parts of it. We, some teams obviously doing what we've seen with sort of the full power unit replacement, but then in Verstappen's case, he's already taken a new power unit. It was just parts of that. But what it ended up doing was making qualifying pretty much unnecessary and kind of useless um, because although Leclerc got pole, everything behind him kind of was out in the wash. Um, The whole point of these grid penalties is to, you know, make sure that teams aren't just changing out critical parts constantly. Um, It's to penalize getting the advantage from a new, um, from a new part, or in this case, a new power unit. And you're supposed to go to the back of the grid. But in, in the case of the last, uh, the last race, because so many teams did it. it I mean, Max Verstappen was still finished, like started the race, what, in, in like seventh? Yeah. um, Which he should have been at the back of the grid. He's, he, you know, he, he, from what, from what it would have been in any other race. That's why it became kind of
2: a messy, it just, it was messy. That's. But doesn't that help? Doesn't that help with choosing when to take your engine penalties?
1: Sure. because you I can suppose. be smart about
2: it, if you know that a bunch of people are going to do it that week, it adds to strategy as you do it that same time.
1: Yes. And that's fair. I think that um, I don't think, however, that that's how Formula One envisioned punishment for these kind of things, because it is still meant to be a deterrent from just constantly changing critical equipment and allowing the best teams to stay the best teams. That's the point of it. It's clearly not a deterrent at all, because now it's become just a strategic tool. And in this case, you know, no disadvantage really to the top runners. They all still got
2: backed up to the front the one thing they don't take account into it is the more engine failures to have, the more problems you're going to have. Sure. The more that these teams are going to need to do that stuff.
1: Sure. And that's fair. I, I would also say like, I have a bit of a hot take on the whole thing in general, which is that I think it's exposed an opportunity for formula one, which is that we've seen in formula two, they run multiple types of races in a weekend. So you get a sprint race and then you get sort of the, the, um, Shoot, I can't remember the exact word they use for, it, but it's sort of like the official race. They don't call it a Grand Prix because it's Formula Two, but whatever their sort of their their um, signature race or whatever it is for the weekend, which is a more traditional thing. But what they do is they reverse the grid order for the top ten in the second race, and I wonder if the same way we have seen a Formula One adopt a few sprint qualifying throughout the season if there isn't also space for f1 to look at a select number of races where you invert the grid after qualifying because we have seen the top teams have no problem picking off the 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 mid-table teams and and making their way back up to the front and all it does is increase what a lot of fans i think enjoy most about the sport which is you know, maneuvers where guys have to make overtakes and they have to use the DRS to their advantage. And you don't end up with just a DRS train in the middle, like so many races where everybody's kind of at the same pace we saw. I mean, for me, the first half of the race, obviously Max did his work in like two laps and was already up there and it was pretty much done and dusted there. But for me, watching Carlos Sainz work his way up through the the field was very exciting and then lewis did it very late because he struggled at the beginning of this race but for me though that's more exciting than watching oh, yeah. lewis or carlos or any of those other drivers just starting fourth and, and finishing 4th i'd much rather watch some good
0: overtakes they sure, 14, but- <laughs> they, they got 14 positions i think signs like got 10 spots on in 10 laps like he he was yeah. moving I-
1: I don't think it's obviously something you can do all the time, but I think that there may be space to look there's at this huge, as actually like a strategic thing or like a, a huge like a,
2: flaw. Yeah. There's a huge flaw with that is if you know that that's going to, the, the grades going to be reversed, why would, yeah, yeah. why would You're you
0: try? Why would you try to, get to get in qualifying?
2: Well, if you why don't, you don't do well, play then
0: play you'll play well. be put
1: at the top. Well, I'm saying what they do. So what they do in Formula Two is you you still qualify for the top spot. They just take the top ten and they drop them below the bottom ten. So if you qualified on quote unquote pole, you would you would start tenth as right. opposed to twentieth. But right. so this would have, me, have is
0: Why wouldn't you try to start eleventh so yeah. that you finish you start P one.
1: Oh, I see what you're saying.
0: In qualifying, you know, you know what I mean. I, mean, that's I guess just so. A loophole. I
1: mean, there's still a yeah, there's a loophole. There. Maybe there's another way. Too. Maybe well, here's there's a different.
2: Here's way the way to make solve that. Work, but here's the way to solve that is your championship points are where you start your next race. So if you're leading the championship, oh, yeah, you start twentieth. Yeah,
1: that's are last
2: in the championship. You start first. So you just
1: you just remove qualifying Some altogether. Remove qualifying
0: altogether. <laughs> they should really consider
2: Mario Kart rules for this because <laughs> yeah, you know, like wouldn't. Wouldn't that make it more interesting? Yeah, no, and for
1: sure. No. It? It's definitely, like I say, it's it's a hot take. I have not necessarily worked all the kinks out of it, but already I think already, I just solved it. And I really enjoy where it's going with it. So, but look, it was an <laughs> unintended consequence of what was a very clumsy um, result, resulting all these penalties and all of that. And and yeah. the only reason I say yeah. it's unfortunate is like, it's not a good look when you have a weekend, of a sporting event that is a two-parter, and in in all truth, it's like a four-day event, right? Because if you really follow this sport, you're engaged throughout the final practices and all of that. But the competition part of it is qualifying on Saturday, race on Sunday. And at the end of that qualifying broadcast, when not even the official Formula One broadcasters can tell you what the outcome was, not a great look for the actual sport itself. Like it took them, like I say, four hours later to even be able to say what the grid was. And that's just, that's just on un- like any other sporting event ending and them not being able to give you the result as they, you know, cut back to sports center. There's, some, there's yeah. something to be worked out there.
2: It was, it did lead to a good top six though, on the starting grid with sure. Leclerc, Russell, Norris, Ricardo, Gasly, Alonso. Like that's exciting. And that's not a common starting. Well, it grid. Was, it, mm-hmm. it was
1: exciting while well, they sat on the grid. And then about two laps later, all of that was for nothing.
2: Oh, yeah. Norris fell like three fucking spots. Norris went into anti-stall
1: term. on the start.
2: Like, yeah. it was the horrific start.
1: George had a good start, though. And, I, I, you know, I think I one of my takeaways from this whole season, like, I I, I made a very bold, and it's clearly not going to play out prediction at the beginning that we're going to have, like, four new winners of Grand Prix. That's obviously not going to happen. The only one right now is Carlos Sainz. But I would say that, like, for me, the revelation of the season – Um, that I did not expect quite as dominant a performance from George Russell stepping up into Mercedes. Like he looks like he's been driving a top car for four or five years. Um, And he, Really, from as a fan of that team, but moreover, just a fan of the sport, I think it's exciting to see like, oh, there's going to be guys here for the next decade that will push Max if they get the right cars. Like, yeah. It's nice to see that we're not just having one guy run away with it. There's a whole crop of these young guys. And when they're given opportunities like George has, he stepped up. So anyway, that well, it was I, nice to yeah. see him up there.
0: I think that's becoming more and more clear to you guys too, as it is to me that Latifi it doesn't belong on an F1 grid when a child like Nick DeVries comes in and finishes ninth in his first F1, you know, like this is, <laughs> this is it yeah. for Latifi, right guys? <laughs> this is,
2: and this weekend was the last, cause it wasn't only just the way that Nick DeVries performed in the Williams car. It was, if you kind of go back, Latifi also was talking back to his race directors. He was lashing out at the guys in his pit. He has completely lost all faith in the fact that he might have a seat there. Like it looks like he's not going to have a seat with Williams next season. Yeah. And his frustrations are starting to show and he's starting to act out. And Nick DeVries was the he was the driver of the day yesterday. Driver I was rooting for him the entire time from Saturday, from the start of Saturday, his yeah. qualifying. I was like, Oh my God, this is exciting. Like, this is it's exciting to get a new driver in a seat and to see how well they do. It was the same with George Russell last year when he stepped up to Mercedes and was leading the race. It was like, this is awesome that you can see these kids do this. And Nick DeVries, I think, he's 27 years old. So he's not yeah. a spry young
1: no and and not only not only that tyler but i think also the the circumstances under which he was sort of thrust into a a lot of i think a lot of people would have just been sort of swamped by the the moment everybody all of these drivers whether they're sitting like he is as a reserve driver in the mercedes system or a guy like um oscar piastri or any of these guys who are waiting for their turn you know that like that first opportunity means so much to them but for him like he found out 2 hours before final practice 3 that he was going to get into the car he's in the wrong <laughs> car from that he's been working on all year cuz he's been yeah. working with the Mercedes guys not sure he's part of that program but he literally had to run down the pit find the team he was driving for, get in. They don't have a seat fitted for him, so they have to adjust Albon's seat to make sure he's comfortable in it. He made a mistake during qualifying because literally his foot didn't fit properly where the pedal was. They had to adjust everything going into Sunday, but that's how fast it was. And yet with all of that, and let's be honest, helped a lot by this whole grid shuffle that occurred, um, you know, but he yep. qualifies in the top 10, gets to start up there, and then he finishes in the top he only 10. He
0: dropped one spot. The whole race. It's
1: unbelievable. It's a fantastic weekend. I do want to just say really quickly, like, obviously, um, everybody w- was wishing Alex um, all the best as he had appendicitis, but I have to say, for those who maybe haven't been following the news here, I really also want to send out our best to Alex Albon because coming out of surgery, um, he had severe complications and it actually had um, lung failure and had to be put on a ventilator today. So he's in like serious, serious medical condition uh, after what is usually like a routine surgery with, with appendicitis. So we probably have not seen the last of Nick DeVries, I think, in a Williams car this season. Cause from the sounds of it, um, Alex may not be in great shape. Now hopefully he's got this three week break and he's able to get healthy again. We wish him all the best. But like talk about a crazy turn of events too, because mm-hmm, Alex too. Albon was actually having a pretty decent, you know, second half to the year for Williams too. Yeah, we, we were talking about him a
2: lot. He was doing really well in that Williams car and it it sucks to hear that because because of that reason. And if there was a race this weekend, it would be Nick DeVries, but yeah um because hopefully is a hopefully bit of hopefully, yeah, hopefully
1: he, yeah. he can get some recovery yeah. but that's a serious thing but I mean, if he does double lung failure oh, coming yeah. out of surgery is not yeah. something to scoff at if so there's if we do
0: see nick devries he's he, he's gonna need to put some serious work in the gym to make sure that his shoulders and his arms are ready to go for the next race i don't know if you guys heard at the very end of the race on his call he goes he goes guys ah uh, guys My shoulders, (laughs) I can't move my shoulders. (laughs) Really? Yeah. He was like, "Congratulations!" And then he goes, "My shoulders are dead." (laughs) Yeah. So
1: I just want to say, I'm just reading right now as I just flip back through it. He is off the ventilator. He was off the ventilator this morning. Um, he's still in the ICU, but they consider him, you know, on the road to recovery now. So hopefully he can turn his attention to recovery and getting ready to to race in Singapore, which would be fantastic. Um, but again, uh, our our best wishes to Albon. Last thing I wanted to say about Nick DeVries, though, is that like this is a guy much like Piastri who probably um, is sort of in kind of a limbo spot in so many ways because he's clearly good enough to be driving a Formula One car. It's just a question of what team, if there's the team that wants to sort of get him in there. I think he's done himself a world of of uh help here by getting this opportunity and 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 taking it and i i think it's very possible and i don't know maybe one of you just said this a second ago too but like i wouldn't be surprised if we see alex albon and nick devries as the two williams drivers mm-hmm. next year i know williams has a lot of different things they're interested in doing to replace uh latifi but like why wouldn't you just do what just worked right mercedes no, that's, wants that's, it in the system but that would have that's been what great
2: it is, though that's that's what it's going to be it's going to be devries and albon Unless Albon gets a seat somewhere like Haas, um, it's, it's going to be Albon and DeVries, and DeVries sealed that this week by yeah. having that race. Yeah, yeah. fantastic. Fantastic.
0: Well we'll, well, we'll talk about vacancies in a little bit here. Uh, one guy who could potentially maybe uh, get that spot is uh, Ricardo. I told you guys we would be returning to Ricardo. Uh, no, you're the
2: only one returning <laughs> to Ricardo.
1: There was really Ricardo's not driving for Williams. There
0: was nothing we could say. He's not driving for Williams. uh, Except he had a really fantastic helmet. I don't know if you guys saw it. It was inspired by Valentino Rossi. It was really really nice. He had a terrible race. In fact, he was the unfortunate event that led to for me as an f1 fan a very dismal end to the race uh well okay so you say that let me ask a question okay should this have gone to a red flag to ensure that there was racing or should they have continued with the rule that is f1
2: you finish under a safety car well it's unfortunate that the rule is you finish under a safety car and this is the fucking exact situation that lost Lewis Hamilton a championship last year and the most frustrating thing about this is that that's the rule so what they did yesterday was correct and it's how it should have been handled whether you like it or not it's what should have happened and all it did was it cost them a chance to race what happened last year at the end when they decided to throw the rule book out the window cost Lewis Hamilton a world championship in eight world championship a record-setting world championship Mm -hmm. if they had stuck to the rules this is what would have happened last year in that final race now whether you like it or not i don't care but that is what the rule is now so that is what needs to happen it's so frustrating that they obeyed the rule for one race like this that didn't really mean anything Mm -hmm. but for the world championship they changed the rule that is the most frustrating thing about what happened yesterday because this is how it was supposed to end Mm -hmm. and now And now, because it ended this way, everybody in F1 is talking about how Lewis Hamilton was robbed of a championship. So they've only hurt themselves by bringing this back up because we had all forgotten about it. We have not talked about it in... In weeks and weeks and weeks and months. And now it's back. And now we're talking about it again because of the way yesterday finished, which was the proper rule-abiding way. Yeah. And there's the no irony. reason to Hold go on, to a the red irony.
1: there's no reason to go to a red flag to answer your question, Brittany. That that for me is the most egregious suggestion by fans, is the suggestion that somehow we should implement a red flag just to to like add an element of drama and and that's unnecessary the whole point of a yellow flag is to neutralize the race because something's happened that's what it is look i mean tyler's summed it up perfectly but the only, the only, I think the only quote better than that is Lewis Hamilton's quote at the end of the race, who, of course, you knew he knew the question was coming. It didn't affect his race at this point, this, this time around. You know, Mercedes was in no position to be robbed a second time, but it definitely well, opens all wounds. Hold and on, his quote, let did. me read you his quote. Let me read you his quote, though. He says, That is how the rules should be, right? There's only one time in history of the sport where they haven't done the rules like that. And that's the one time where it changed the result of a championship. But it is what it is.
0: Jeez. the irony being that Hamilton would gain 14 spots, made it to sixth, and very likely could have, you know, taken another spot or two. No, I don't it think so. I matter. think, but it doesn't, I matter. Think, yeah, it it does doesn't matter. Yeah, sure, it doesn't
2: matter. Sure, he would have finished. I'm saying fifth. But last year he would have won the race.
0: Yeah, yeah, a he race he led. Not a not race he race. led the entire time. No, the whole the whole year. He yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. But he 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 led that race the whole way. Look the the
0: um i can the see only both part of you of were the... over it you're, you're both over last well, year it's so. like come on we're like, not like, over wow, it, but that's I, the point I, like we so, were like... getting
1: over it i think the whole sport's getting over it and then this kind of yeah. a moment makes it makes brings it back into such stark relief how much of an absolute travesty it was and it's hard like, to it's... to see people want to now pr- like pretend that didn't happen when they suggest that this was a as you said a, a dismal end to the race okay but this is how it works so if you want a different solution come up with a different solution but until that time i don't want to hear any more nonsense especially out of you know uh, it just that's what's frustrating they're changing
0: the rules all the time so it's not it's not you know what do you mean
2: what do you mean they're changing the rules all the time
0: f1's changing the rules all the time there's always updates there's always changes to the even but this this year the car everything sure. everything's
2: moving everything's But innovating. it's never happened on lap 53 of a race before yeah
1: it shouldn't change in races i guess the point and and in this case at least the 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 rules were followed and maybe it's ugly maybe it's unfortunate but to, the irony is for me i go back to to abu or um, yeah abu dhabi last abu dhabi, year yeah. the, the big thing is like if you finished that race under yellow flag, yes, it would have been disappointing, but the correct winner of that race would have won. The correct yes. winner of this race still won. Really, yes. the only team that had something massive to gain from this somehow going a different way would have been Ferrari. I mean, sure, George Russell's in third, but really, Ferrari's the one chasing Max. And in this situation, Max had won that race up to that point. He deserved to win. He was the rightful winner. He had dominated that race to that point. And the safety car neutralizing what was already going to be a commanding victory for him. This is the correct outcome. And that's what they that's what that they allowed to have happen because of how the rules worked. Okay, here's here's we friend of the pod, Colin, asked me today if if Ferrari made another mistake this week, or if they cost themselves another victory with the early pit stop. And I made the argument. I don't think they actually did anything wrong. I think they made a strategic choice during the, the virtual safety car, but the truth is they were never going to win this race. And that's the big difference here is that like Max was going to win this race from the minute it started, unless he made a mistake. That's where, that's where Red Bull is. They are the fastest car period. And as long as he doesn't make a mistake, you know he's going to win. This race Ferrari wasn't going to catch him. Whether they had an early pit stop, they the undercut wasn't going to work, the overcut was never going to work. They were just never really in a strategic place to win. So strategically, to answer his question, no I don't think Ferrari screwed up this weekend. I think Ferrari did everything they could. I think Carlos Sainz had a really great race. We're just watching a really really dominant performance.
2: It is yeah, it's it's every weekend is Max Verstappen's to lose. And it's not even close like the race won, and then podium, you have to assume he's always going to be on podium. So it's, I mean, Ferrari this weekend was, was okay. There's nothing that Ferrari did that I'm I'm upset with, but it's just, it just sucks the way that that the race ended. I'm not upset with the way it ended based on the rules. I'm upset that it immediately brings back what happened last year. Yeah, that's fair. I think that's fair.
0: Opens old wounds
2: for sure. Yeah, Yeah, no, that's for sure.
0: And I think too, like, uh, (sighs) i'm still i'm still new in learning from the sport the idea that you know it was so exciting the final race of the year last year was the race to determine you know the championship the the fact that max you know he, he could very likely take the championship with six races left next or five races left next next race uh it's not as exciting to me. I don't know. I don't know, guys. Is there it's something a huge more story. that they can do? You're right. Yeah, like, like, it's is not a, is huge there a story. way they could introduce a playoff thing that becomes more... No, you, know, you don't BID need to. Though. No, 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 no. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm, I'm no, just no, asking no. Get questions out, out there. No,
1: this is... Okay, so here are the... I do have a... None of us...
0: You traditionalist.
1: On, <laughs> none of us on this podcast, though, are, like, lifelong. We've been watching oh, no, F1 no. for our entire lives. We're We're all like relatively new to this sport within yeah. the last five yeah. years. So none of us really, I think, have the perspective to to play the super conservative, this is how the sport should, should be. But I know for myself, speaking as a fan of this sport, I have enjoyed learning about the sport from the modern era, but I have also ensured that I've gone back and like tried to learn some of the history of this sport. Because for me, I think that the history of any sport informs how it's moved to where it is. You don't need to reform and change any of this to fit some kind of modern mold of narrative structure. And the flaw that Formula One, and I think this, the struggle Formula One is now going to have um, moving forward, is about competing with itself itself. And what I mean by that is it has set itself up as a Netflix reality television show, because that is how so many people have been introduced to it. And that's great. That's important. That's awesome. We're here because of that in in so many ways, right? North America has fallen in love with this sport as sports fans because of Netflix. That's the gateway. But the actual sport of Formula One, the actual racing is nothing like the structure of a 10-part, 60-minute reality expose. And the challenge is last season, I think, was like pouring gasoline on a narrative that was already there. Because, yes, it was once in a generation, two guys absolutely duking it out the entire season, literally coming down to a tie on points at the end of the race. You could not script it better, but that's an anomaly. That does not happen and will not happen again for a while. It might happen, you know, at some point in the future, but it hasn't happened for like almost 20 years prior to that. Lewis Hamilton won seven in a row and really was almost uncontested except the Nico Rosberg year. And that's just because he was on the same team as him.
2: Well, and doesn't that make it more frustrating that, that with, if there wasn't the drive to survive, they probably wouldn't have made that decision to change the race rules for Lewis Hamilton. I think that's a fair, I think that's a very fair take. And and I also, I've said it before in this, like if you're a Formula One fan, you're not rooting for everyone to win the race. You're rooting for them to get three or four spots about, above where you think they should finish. So like, I'm not rooting for Gasly to win a race. I want Gasly to finish top 10. So when people say that things should start, like, with five laps left, it should be a red flag and they should restart the race. If they had ran the last five laps under green flag, nothing would have changed. So in you have to change your mindset that if they're running green flags for 50 laps and there's three laps left and there's a crash, boom, that's the end of the race. Just change your mindset to that's say, right. okay, well, we got 50 good laps. Right. Unfortunately, there was a crash that ended the race early, but you can't just stop the race have everyone switch tires and go again because then those 50 laps don't mean anything.
1: Yeah. hundred percent. Just
2: starting again. So it's like, it's, you just have to change your mindset to, Hey, Botas is probably never going to win another race, but you want them to finish top 15, top 10. So if you, if you see a crash in the last three laps, just say, Hey, that was a great race. Unfortunately, there was a crash the last three, the crash the last three laps, but what are you going to do? Happens every once in a while.
1: Well and like, like you can
2: th- do that for everyone except for Ricardo.
1: <laughs> Look, it's like it's like in other sports though. It's like for me you think about the way that sports have the, those sort of those sort of flash in the in the pan moments where a specific season or a specific event surrounding a sport gains so much attention and momentum. It, the first thing it makes me think of is like the 98 home run race between Bo- between Maguire and Sosa, right? We're like those two guys all of a sudden just catch fire. Now, sure they were doping, but they caught fire that summer. And the the race to to break the record, both of them breaking the record and then obviously McGuire crushing out what 72 or something. The reality of that summer is that like that doesn't happen every baseball season. So if you were to suggest that we need to now change the sport Moving forward to try to recreate that excitement, that energy every summer, you're only damaging the actual integrity of the rest of the sport. And I would also argue maybe baseball kind of did that in some ways, they kind of got a little excited they about what down. that those kind of things were. And they made certain decisions about as we've talked, we talked about on Trick yesterday, like, just making rule changes to improve offense in a specific sport is kind of a, like a, it's a very slippery slope because in doing so, what are you giving up or what are you affecting? And in Formula One, the way that this sport is is built slowly year by year through these regulatory changes and these structural changes, I think allows it to continue to move forward because it's a sport that's all about technology and technology is always moving forward, obviously. Like we're going to be in a decade talking about probably fully electric cars. Like we're moving towards those kinds of, progressions in terms of where these sports are going but at the moment you have to take them as incremental steps and when you have an explosion of drama within the actual confines of the sport like we did last year you have to treat it as a very special moment but that's all it is it's not the new normal right max verstappen is going to win this and he's going to probably win it next race in singapore Mm -hmm. And then the question is kind of like, then what, right? Well, then as Tyler said, your attention should turn to the other teams. Your attention should turn to the other drivers. And there's drivers there who are literally fighting for their careers and making sure that they get seats next year. There are teams that are, every single point will matter in terms of how much money they can put in the coffers of, of developing next year's car. And sure we're under a cap situation, but this is still a sport about finishing as high as you possibly can. And those are the, those are the stories that we'll talk about, but those are the stories that I would encourage new fans of the sport to try to engage in because it will make the sport more enjoyable from a viewing perspective. If you're not just, I mean, look, Max is going to make it easy. It's going to be over and then it'll be over and sure. Max will probably still win another couple of races because he's a competitive guy but it will be a little anticlimactic and that's just how it goes. You know, I mean, I think back the year before last, like the last time Lewis won, I think he won with like five races left too. Like yeah. it was, it was over pretty quick.
2: It's also one of those sports. Like you can have three favorite racers in different tiers. Like you can have your yeah. Lando Norris that you cheer for. Cause he potentially could win a race this year. He could finish top three in the podiums. You can hope for that for him. And then you can have your Pierre Gasly where you just want him to finish top nine, top eight. Mm-hmm. And then you can have, you can go down to your Alice Albon where like if he gets any points at all, that's a happy day for you. So like you don't need to just cheer for one max Verstappen and then get bored when the race is over. Like find the guys that you like learn about them, learn about their history and why they are where they are and, and what their car has failed at, that they're excelling at. Like, Ocon is having an, an amazing season and like you just look at him, like read about him and he lost a seat two years ago to stroll when he came in, I believe it was. Yeah. And he went to Mercedes. He wrote um, in their uh, testing car or whatever, and then came back and got a seat. Like it's stories like that exist yeah. all around this grid, just find them and root for these guys. It's because if you're just rooting for Lewis Hamilton or Max Verstappen your your season's going to end early.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, the last thing I wanted to say on this, and I know, you know, we're kind of going over time, but you know, like, yes, I think Tyler's right. When this race ended the way it ended, like it opened a lot of those old wounds. And I think a lot of people were kind of like, Oh God, really? We're dealing with this conversation again. But I also think that from the formula one perspective, like the organization, the FIA, the actual running of it, it was kind of a necessary thing to have happen and to demonstrate that we've learned the lessons of that moment. And we're not going to get sucked into whatever occurred in that moment. We're going to follow this by the letter as uncomfortable as it may make people we're going to do this. Right. And I think it was actually a very important and big moment for formula one to get to, I mean, it took us however long through the season to get to another situation like this, it probably, probably won't happen again this season, to be honest with you, because it's not like it happens very often, but now from, from Dubai on every single time it happens until they change the rule, if, they, if they're going to do that, as long as this is the letter of the law, it's now going to be followed dogmatically as a point. And I think that that was important because it, it, the only way you can rebuild the trust of the fans that you you know that that maybe you tainted their experience of the sport with that the sort of outrageous finish of last year um, I think the only way to start to build that trust back is to demonstrate that you've learned from those lessons and as shitty as it is it's it's the only way to move forward
2: great completely agree
0: uh, one final question here to you Tyler were you a fan or not of the 75th anniversary Ferrari yellow at Monza. I'm
2: glad you asked that question because when I first saw it, I hated it. <laughs> you were like, what the <laughs> fuck? We're nose yeah. back. Then all <laughs> of a sudden they like throw the, fer- just like the bright yellow Ferrari letters on the back wing. And But as the race went on, I kind of, I dig it. I do. The back really wing was like it. The Back wing was pretty sick. Yeah, I like it a lot. And I hope they bring it out for the rest of the season. I, I actually, I like it more than the green they put up. Oh, God, the green was terrible. But that was an advertisement more, more than that. I right. know, but yeah. still, yeah, and it's yeah. part of the Italian flag and stuff like that. But yeah, I think yeah. the yellow is pretty sick. All right, and the, the yellow suits, all the the yellow. Yeah, no, I didn't like
0: the yellow suits because awesome. they looked way too much like <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's leave it there.
2: Hello, football fans and fans of the Ordinary Podcast Network. My name is Tyler Walzak. I am here with Puya Ricey, and we are starting a podcast called Running Down the Clock. Each week, we're going to bring
0: to you a little bit of football talk, player news, controversies, headlines, all the big plays, and that football action that
2: you can handle. Every Thursday for the rest of the season, we look forward to you listening to us on the Ordinary Podcast Network.
0: Uh! Okay, we've got uh, about six races left, five races left and uh, there are still some vacancies and some uncertainties regarding the 2023 F1 season with vacant seats. The first seat I want to talk to you guys about that is uh, on rocky ground is that of uh, Ferrari principal Mattia Bonato. Not a driver, but a director. Does this guy, has is, is I mean, clearly he's a jeopardy every race <laughs> <laughs> regarding the decisions that are made that the big thing that stands out for me here though is just the un the 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 lack of confidence it seems they the the whole team seems to have from the pit wall. They constantly seem race by race seem to be asking their drivers, "How do you feel about this plan? How do you feel about that plan?" This doesn't seem like the confidence that it takes to win a championship. Now, uh, it's, it's great to have your drivers' opinions. I think, especially as they're driving the race, but does this fall on Bonato? Is is Badano going to lose his seat? <laughs> you look excited to be answering this question. Get it.
2: Get the fuck out of here, Bernardo. Get the fuck out of here. You're done. It's over. (laughs) You are done. Everybody on that pit wall should be fired. Clean house. Bring in somebody from, I hate to say this, but bring in whoever the next guy under Christian Horner is at Red Bull. Bring in somebody from Mercedes to run your crew because you guys stink. And I don't know what else to say. I've I've been calling for this guy to get fired for five weeks now i'm surprised they're allowing him to finish the season to be honest i thought after the summer break that bonato would be gone i think he i think he is i think go away he should go away he should it would have been a bad look at monza though he should have the opportunity to resign is all i can say about that before you fire him give him the opportunity to resign Pardon?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think I said it a couple of weeks ago. I think that there's going to be a real like house cleaning over there uh, after what has been a pretty disastrous season considering the expectations on them. Um, Obviously this was their home race in so many ways uh, being the Italian Grand Prix John Eckelman, who is the New York Italian businessman that is the uh, CEO of, of uh, Ferrari was there. He was there personally, which I think, you know, says something that at least the big wigs are making themselves a little bit more present. Now that's because of where it was, let's be fair. But at the same time, it's definitely a statement about where the team is that, you know, all of the uh, finger pointing seems to be pointing now to the very top because they can't get their stuff together. And I don't, I don't, I don't get too hung up on the, on the kind of like presentation of the, Questioning or 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 opinions of the drivers mid race, like I I I think we get a little bit too hung up on how things are are articulated on the radio Uh, by different teams. I think that a lot of teams ask the drivers gone
2: too far for Ferrari. No, but I think they're like asking,
0: should I box box, and they're like a meter away from the pit.
1: I think that I think they're recognizing. would you like to I think it's sharp? performative. Question? I think there's question? definitely an element of performative nature to it, where they're trying to point, yeah. they're trying to over um, emphasize the role that they're letting their drivers have after some of the, the the mistakes that were clearly not the drivers' faults earlier in the season. But like, I don't know. I mean, yeah. it's not going to change. Nothing's going to change till the end of the year. So I don't
2: know. Jordan, here's a question for you to follow up for that. If you were a Ferrari fan and they keep Bonato next season, how do you feel about that? I'd rather uh, be, a Good
1: question. Yeah. If I'm a Ferrari fan, well, <laughs> if I was a Ferrari fan, I think the struggle I would have is that like to be a Ferrari fan, you have to have kind of bought into the whole like Ferrari lore, which is so much a cult of personality because for so long it was all about every decision is made by Enzo Ferrari. And so at, so at some point you just kind of, you, you believe that, this organization is never really going to go and find some new guy out there. They're always going to hire from within. They're just, it, it's very like kind of culty and I don't know. It's a weird if thing. You, if He's only was, been
2: there for three years. If, if this that, was a in North American, if this was a yeah. North American sport, well, he'd be gone. You, the fan base is, yeah, they're essentially the Yankees, the Maple Leafs, sure. the Dallas Cowboys. They would have his head on a stick by now. Yeah.
1: You know what it reminds me of? And this is obviously so none of matter. those three teams, <laughs> but what it reminds me of is like, the the way that the fan base in ottawa turned on eugene melnick as the owner like it, it's definitely getting to the point where like the fans love the drivers they have no problem with the two drivers they're very happy they're they're driving for them that's all they got that's well, all they got well yeah yeah and they develop a really fast car it's just been unforced errors right and so yeah, i think at the that's end of the, the day that has to fall on the head of the head of the team has to has to take responsibility. Let's uh,
0: let's talk about some more enforcers. Yeah. Who who else is at risk here? And maybe in terms of potential shifting. Okay, so it's around. less.
1: Uh, the news this week is less about like, there, it's the usual suspects. We kind of already know who's quote unquote at risk. What what's more interesting is that there seem to be a lot more names coming in uh, as potential drivers for next season than there actually are seats. So that always has me going like, this is fascinating because clearly there's another a, car. a lot of. Well, but that, no, I'm not saying that, but, not <laughs> yet. but it is, it's just interesting. Cause like, obviously we, we know, we know who some of those people are i mean devries being the most obvious now because of that we also have felipe uh Dragovich who just won uh a formula two uh he was at the race this weekend as well for uh in the williams garage um he's obviously a name that's there we kind of have a feeling that we got an american now joining us in colton uh coming to, so to drive for alpha that's
2: not that's not solid yet though which is no 100% And that
1: changes things, right? But the two names that are really interesting and they just have come up in the last couple of days is that it's it's quite obvious that Haas is looking to continue to adjust. They had to quickly make a decision at the beginning of this season and they brought Magnussen in. I think they're quite happy to have Magnussen back. I think he's worked out well there. I think Mm -hmm. that the Ferrari development program and Mick Schumacher have kind of separated in terms of interest. And I think Mick Schumacher is going to start looking for different opportunities than to continue on Ferrari's path. Um, I think that there's, there's just, there's been a bit of a fracturing there. So I think the second seat at Haas is actually more open than maybe it was two weeks ago. Um, And it sounds like there's two names now that are, that Haas is interested in. Um, one of them we've actually already talked about as a potential returnee, which is Antonio Giovinazzi who drove for formula E this season, but his name is now seems to be circulating a lot more. And I think that he has become Ferrari's preferred candidate for the Haas seat, because from Ferrari's perspective, he's in their development program. They want to get him back in formula one. They're, they're a big fan of him. And obviously being Italian that serves their, um, sort of national interest to get another Italian driver or an Italian driver. He back also to was everyone. in the
2: practice F1 F1 right. uh, practice for
1: the process. name that comes back up though, as apparently Haas has reached out to sort of just as a, let's see where he's kind of at is a name that has been hovering around the sport since he left two seasons ago. We've even seen him on the grid. In fact, he had points last year and that's Nico Hulkenberg who's all of a sudden come back into the conversation. And apparently there is some serious interest both from Haas and uh, apparently um, at one point he was in conversations before the whole McLaren Piastri thing happened. There was, there was some interest from McLaren as a potential spot. Now that obviously hasn't happened because of how it all played out there, but those are, those are the kind of drivers right now that are getting attention because if a team either has a young driver and they want to match them with a more experienced hand, that isn't necessarily currently in a seat those would be the most obvious candidates because they've both driven formula one cars quite like i think nico halkenberg has like multiple seasons under his belt so um anyway those are the two names that came up this week and and it'll be interesting if they steal a seat from a younger maybe rookie driver that may or may not be getting an opportunity next year
2: well the weird like where's schumacher gonna go he may not
1: drive next year. He may not up he back. Will. A... I
0: heard you say this last episode too, man. He, he's having a great year comp- yeah. considering this is his rookie year.
1: But no, not last season was his rookie year. Right, Where's he going right. to go is the question. And I think that's, that's the, is, the reality of it. Yeah. I think he Alpine? may be like, no, I think, I think like Tyler pointed out earlier, there is.
2: Alpine there... said today it's either Gasly or a kid from FP2. Jack Duham.
1: So who, I think as I said, I think, yeah. as I said, I think that there's very there, there's also a very high possibility that um, Schumacher steps away from Ferrari, meaning that he would need to begin developing for another team, which would mean he may end up as a reserve driver for another team, whether that's moving into the Mercedes, system and going and being the spare driver at uh, aston martin or uh, williams or somewhere like that where he's the extra guy it's also possible that one of these rookie drivers doesn't work out right away in 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 one of the seats next year and we see one of those mid-season swaps we haven't seen in a few years i think the last one we saw was gasly for al uh, albon was the last time a big team made a switch mid-season um
2: well then albon yeah, midseason. You know what right. I mean?
1: Like when yeah. they moved Gasly out of the Red Bull seat back yeah. to Alpha Tori and Albon now, got the bump up.
2: This is, I think this is a huge mistake for Schumacher.
1: To step away from Ferrari?
2: Yeah, his dad, his dad yeah. is Ferrari. I think
1: that's the problem. I honestly think that there's a bit too What's, much of like baggage attached to the name. And I think that he, he has, uh, I don't know. I think that that's a big shadow to be in, uh, on, honestly. And with all due respect, yeah, considering the conversation we just had, if you had your choice, would Ferrari really be the uh, development program you'd be looking to join right now? Um, <laughs> there isn't know, a clear like, path. A good I drive. guess the point is there, there isn't I would a clear be on path. Any. Sure. There isn't a clear path for him from where he stands today in the next five, six, maybe even 10 years to a Ferrari seat. He's looking at what's there and they clearly have two guys they're very confident in that are going to be there for at least the next couple of years into the next big contracts. And even still, I think there are other guys on their quote unquote depth chart developmentally that they want to be the next guys for Ferrari before him. So from his perspective, career wise, you know, he might be interested in stepping away from that and finding a different opportunity. And, and it could be with like a, an Alfa Romeo or somebody like that, who's still sort of in the Ferrari sort of world, but I think it's going to be much easier for him if he just gets out of that Ferrari shadow uh, and, and tries to forge a bit more of his own identity there.
0: How does Alpha change his grid position right now? Like he, it's not he's not about grid
1: position. I think that well, this but it is. So that's about what,
0: success, right? This no, is no, yeah, no, it's it's about, about, probably some of the best success Haas has, Haas has experienced with. At this driver. point,
2: Braden has a point, like at being already in a seat isn't grid position what it's all about.
1: Sure. But I, but it, yes, if you are the one deciding whether or not you're staying or going, and I'm not suggesting that Schumacher is the one saying he doesn't want to stay with Haas. It's quite possible Haas is not quite confident in keeping him there. That's what I guess I'm trying to say. It I'm sounds like that. Haas is more interested in that. Well, I'm just, I, I'm just saying what I'm hearing and what I'm reading. It sounds like th- that relationship is, is not as strong as it was last year. Mm-hmm. the
2: name that the, the name alone yeah that's big i don't know some, man So mclaren's know. getting the the things, Priostri, yeah, nothing's happening
0: sorry. at red bull mercedes is standing still ferrari's standing still yeah. the only movement i mean does sonoda have a seat next year
1: we don't know that yet though we're gonna know Boy, that in like, a little while. Well. it's gonna be really even also
0: zhao, zhao? not nailed
2: down yet.
1: i think zhao is actually in probably the most secure spot of is any Bartos
2: of those rookies. returning especially yeah, because is. of zhao's is. weekend this past weekend was yeah. great
1: yeah, I think so he, Alfa Romeo stands pat with what they have right now. Moving yeah. into next season, I think they're just waiting for all the dust to settle to finalize that, unless something falls in their lap, which is possible.
0: Uh, and there's no way Lance Stroll is bumped from his daddy's no. department. No, he's right. he's
1: they're 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 building a team around that, and they 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 just signed a young another young driver to their development program too. Uh, so they well, they know I, what they, they're moving forward. So.
0: All right, let's, uh, let's talk about a team that is moving forward, but not without what we all expected. Porsche was anticipated to join Red Bull, and that has since diminished?
1: Yeah, so it was, it was definitely confirmed this week at Monza that Red Bull's expected um, sort of team up with Porsche. Uh, that's been basically like, it felt like there was a deal in July. Uh-huh. Um, that was sort of set. And I believe they even made an announcement that they were moving forward on a deal. It sounds like they got to the final stages of closing that deal and it fell through. Um, Porsche is stepping away from that deal. That's sort of the formal language there that, they're, that they've stepped away from that. Uh, the Volkswagen company obviously that owns Porsche uh, made that announcement that they're not going to be partnering with Red Bull moving forward. Uh, it sounds like the sticking point was that Porsche was basically pushing to buy uh, the equivalent of 50% of the Red Bull um, Formula One operation outright. So they'd become like a 50-50 ownership partner with the current, um, the current team as it's structured and owned by Red Bull Energy Drinks. Uh, And that became an untenable partnership. So the Red Bull was not comfortable selling them 50%. Um, They felt like losing that much control to who would basically become their engine manufacturer was too much of a thing to give up in terms of operational control. I am not one to sort of go down the rabbit hole too much of conspiracy theories, but I have read several articles from people who are much more versed in this situation than I am. And a lot of them seem to be pointing the fingers at Christian Horner on this one. And it feels a lot like the current leadership of the actual team, as opposed to sort of the business leadership of Red Bull as a corporation is who really pulled the plug on this. It feels like maybe some of their actual guys running the team felt like they were going to lose a bit too much control um, and pushed back against the deal from strictly a sporting perspective. They didn't want to lose the opportunity to continue to build their own engine. They didn't, they, they, they they seem, I mean, look, would you mess with what's working? Well, that's exactly <laughs> in so many ways. It's not like Williams or somebody who's looking for somebody to come save them. Ripple's yeah. doing pretty good on their own. Uh, it so might've been a good us. partnership, but one of the chances
0: Porsche joins another, Very high. I mean, obviously,
1: Volkswagen's made it pretty clear that both with their Audi brand and with their Porsche brand, they're interested in looking at opportunities to join uh to get into Formula One in some capacity, but obviously it's not going to happen right now with Red Bull and and there isn't another direct partnership there. Um, it does look like obviously the conversations with Audi and and Aston Martin have continued. There's certainly, I think Aston Martin as a team seems like the most logical place because we know that. Lawrence Stroll is very much interested in kind of making deals and moving himself into slightly less risk averse position within the organization as sort of the sole owner of that organization right now. I think he's looking for a partnership there. So that would be the most logical next dance partner for one of these two um, manufacturers to go to, I would think.
2: Um, They've got a deadline. So there is a deadline for, course, October 15th, they have to come up with a deal with someone if they want to get into that 2026 engine builder. Um, yeah. category.
1: Yeah. And I think that Run that's the big thing. It, the big question, the, the big question marks running all of this is whether or not the Red Bull is confident moving forward with their current plans to be a powertrain developer and, and manufacturer. Because what it sounded like was they were really interested in having Porsche on board as their engine manufacturer, which to me suggests one year into building their own engines, they're already not confident in it as a business, as a a way to move forward, either because they don't feel like they want to invest in putting the money in that's necessary to continue to be competitive doing that, or because they don't like how that project has been going um red bull obviously being one of those teams that's had multiple probably more engine different engine manufacturers in the last decade than any other team um they've gone from having an aston martin engine at one point to now then they were with with honda then they went to renault then they went back to honda and now they're in sort of this honda red bull um hybrid thing um i think at one point they even had a ferrari engine way back in the early days when they were first coming out of being uh, Benetton or Jordan or whatever team they were, um, Jaguar. <laughs> so Jaguar. anyway, the point being Red Bull is one of those, manu- one of those, uh, constructors, I should say that is constantly looking for the next sort of move forward business wise. And yeah, here we are again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, 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 opportunity exists for Porsche. Let me just, I'll, I'll end it with that Porsche and Audi are not, dead and out of out of this conversation they're both still interested they're both still looking and again I think I said this a week ago there's still very very much interest from Mario Andretti and that's the really big name that's still lurking in the shadows here Andretti wants in whether that's with Haas whether that's with Williams or an Aston Martin buyout Um, Porsche could just go and buy out Aston Martin tomorrow if they wanted to do that kind of deal and there's space for that kind of thing but we'll see.
0: Right on. Uh, okay, we got six more races, you guys. We've got a little hiatus here uh, as the Russian Grand Prix was canceled. Uh, we our next race is the October second, the Singapore Grand Prix. It's a street race, the Marina Bay Street Circuit. Uh, October second, six a.m. Guys, uh, anything exciting? <laughs> anything well, you want to mention here with the
2: the track itself is it's fairly new. It's only two thousand eight. Um, it's one of the more physically demanding tracks. So we've talked about a lot about porpoising this season. This track is very bumpy. Uh, it's a street track. So street track, yeah. It's bumpy and it's also super humid. Um, when the drivers go there, there's 23 corners. Um, it's a high speed lap. I think the average lap's like 141 and a bit, 142. Um, it's these racers lose a lot of weight on this track specifically over three kilograms throughout the race Um, wow. it it's a, it's kind of a fun looking track like if you look at it it looks like if you were comparing 2022 to like a 2001 pixelated version of a track like it's very like singular Yeah, yeah it's there's a lot of there, i
1: i i, I I may be wrong on this number, but I believe there's six 90 degree turns or close to 90 degree turns um, to the whole thing. Yeah, and there's like two pretty tight hairpins too. But as Tyler says, they still get around it pretty quick. Um, it's also a night circuit, which is a really yeah, attractive awesome. thing. Um, I think we get the same in Bahrain, but this night circuit is one of the more sort of... Um, uh attractive on television let's say because it's Mm -hmm. the city lights the the marine bay street circuit as it's called and it's got these beautiful images from it from the previous year we haven't been here since 2019 though so this is also kind of a return um which should be fun because some of these drivers have never never raced here right some Mm -hmm. of these younger drivers have never actually raced here um the last time we were here as i say in 2019 um sebastian vettel uh won on this track he was driving for ferrari Oh, uh and charles leclerc in his rookie season uh, with ferrari uh came in number two so ferrari had great success the last time they were here and it's very possible that they will again uh, verstappen was also on the podium uh that 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 outing in 2019 so uh but as i say there's a lot of drivers here who have never seen this circuit and it'll be fun for them to to get a feel for uh a night race in in singapore
0: can either of you guess who has the lap record on this track? You, you both might be looking at the same screen I'm looking at, but I'm curious if either of you can, can guess who's got the lap record. Uh, oh, don't I have look it up. It up. <laughs>
2: sorry, I, I've already got it up. Jordan,
0: who, who's got the lap record here? Who and, and this is a driver who is still on the grid.
1: Is it Valtteri Bottas? No, it is not. Oh, no, I don't know. I have no idea. you want to tell him, read? Oh, Kevin- I do know. Oh, sorry. I, you were just going to say it. It's Kevin Magnuson, isn't it?
0: yeah and the how, reason i was how did you know
1: the reason i remember this is if you if you watch the very first season of drive to survive oh there
0: you
1: go haas played a pretty predominant role in that season and i nice. do remember that there was a bit of a controversy around this specific race because i believe this is the race right before that haas had their like their family dinner yeah where, exactly where right where they shit all over they, all over grosjean, roman grosjean who didn't show right in
0: front of Magnus. that's
1: right yeah that's right and then magnuson won the race so that was a big part of the of season one for sure
0: Oh, that's terrible. Uh, that's okay, cool. I'll have to go back they and watch shit that. They
2: all over, they <laughs> <shit> all <laughs> over Grosjean. All over Yeah, what was, a crazy that's why story I didn't like money. that's why I don't like um gunter yeah. is cuz that moment I was like it was dude yeah, the guy's not exactly. even here to defend himself yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. It easy. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> um, the last thing I wanted to say about uh, Singapore and we mentioned it earlier. But look, if you haven't yet watched this season, more than likely you're going to see a champion crowned cuz all max has to do is win one more race pretty much um and he needs to win it here if he wins it if he wins singapore um frankly he doesn't even have to win i think he just has to be on the podium and and leclerc and yeah. signs have to be outside the top 5 and he would win so um he has a very very good chance of being crowned the official world champion for the second consecutive year this time undeniably unquestionably uh with no strings or asterisks attached and that would be a big thing obviously for the young dutch driver and for red bull too
0: perfect uh jordan tyler thank you so much good to be back uh to our listeners thank you again for joining us we will be back with you the first week of october to talk all things uh singapore grand prix Uh, until then don't forget to like subscribe follow us you can listen to our podcast anywhere you listen to your podcasts Um, and tell your friends if you're if you're a fan of f1 uh, we'd love to have you join us every week to talk all things f1 pit stop podcast is a presentation of the ordinary podcasting network thanks for listening